Hello and welcome. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. This is Ricky Schoonover of Mode Denver Real Estate, your local realtor and host of this show, the Denver Homes Market Report. Today is the first Thursday of November 2023. Happens to also be my birthday. You know, this monthly podcast was born out of the pandemic. I have been, you know, I had been thinking about starting a podcast. I didn't even listen to podcasts before this. I just kind of knew they were out there. I loved the idea that you could tune in at your leisure and quickly gain insight into almost any topic you had to choose from. So here we go, launching season four, episode seven of the Denver Homes Market Report. You know, real estate is an evolving industry. It always has been. You know, when I started in the business of helping buyers and sellers buy and sell homes, there was no such thing as Zillow. Zillow really wasn't a thing back in 2003. Now, I think I started hearing about them maybe late 2005 to early 2006. And what they did was pretty revolutionary. Let me explain what I mean by that. You know, even way back in the day, locally, we had IDX licensing agreements. I remember I had an iHomeFinder real estate website way back in like 2005. I was so excited. This is where realtors, we own our own website and we pay a fee to the local MLS so that we could link a feed from the database and show all the local listings you know, within our own site. I know today this seems so basic. I mean, you can type into almost any real estate website and they will have an IDX feed. But 20 years ago, this was a newer concept. Today, my new website, www.denverhomesmarket.com, we have way more tools available whether you're a buyer or a seller. So I encourage you to check it out. Once again, denverhomesmarket.com. You know, but what, you know, going back to what, you know, Zillow did. Zillow, what they did was they nationalized this whole licensing agreement sort of idea. They built a user-friendly website. Then they procured a nationwide IDX licensing fee. And that's really it. It was nothing more than my little old, you know, website just blown up into a national level. So we fast forward to today, and here's where the revolutionary part really kicks in. This day and age, there are many people out there who actually think Zillow is the database of homes for sale. And they are far from it. I mean, every single MLS-based listing in Zillow, which is the vast majority, probably 90, 95%, of the listings you'll find on Zillow. They are pulled into their site via the same IDX feed that most of us realtors use. You know, they are not and they've never been the MLS database. Case in point, as a professional realtor, I have never listed a property for sale directly into Zillow. And for good reason. I mean, my professional MLS has hundreds of inputs and bits of data. This you know, this data is based on the thousands upon thousands of licensed real estate professionals all entering their listings into the MLS on a daily basis. They are trained and coached on how to properly input listings. There are already mistakes and in listing information that for whatever reason gets plugged into the wrong spot or not added at all. So now imagine that those mistakes and that missing data are put 
you know, to the work, into the hands of the general public and allowing them to input their own listings. Now, we're not talking about self-checkout and bagging at our grocery store with items. We're talking about buying and selling our homes. I mean, some of the most major investments we've made in our lives. You know, there may not be any recourse for false information, misleading information. You know, beyond all that, we can remove the ethics courses that realtors take, the continuing education, and the retraining. And then comes when we do make mistakes, fines levied, and public censure. You know, these are tools that are used to help me and all of us realtors stay on top of our game and minimize these mistakes or otherwise unethical behaviors. No, I'm not saying that all real estate professionals or even realtors are perfect. What I am saying is there are tools and levers in place that the local, state, and national association of realtors can use if they find an agent out there who is not playing by the rules. And then comes the states. Each and every state also have their own tools within their licensing programs. They have licenses for all sorts of professions. You know, you know whether you're a cosmetologist or cutting hair or you're a you know, contractor or a real estate agent. There are tools in place and legal guidelines for us all to follow. So the local, state, and national association of realtor really then holds us to the ethical standards and trains us and helps us stay on top of the legal ramifications such as fair housing laws, ethical practices, and procedures. And then we have the state and national laws that are added or otherwise changed. We take an annual update course and periodic ethics update course to help us stay in compliance. We all want to be interacting with the public in a fair and honest and transparent manner. Now, the reason I started this show with this is there's a big push with a class action type lawsuit in Missouri with 500 sellers. And the basic premise was home sellers raising the question, why do sellers pay for buyer's representation? Why doesn't the buyer need to pay for their own representation? Now, if that was really the case, the seller's energy should have been focused on the 500 sellers, you know, suing their buyers, you know, saying they wanted them to pay for their own representation. However, the National Association of Realtors, I think there was named in there Keller Williams and Remax, you know, they have an easier target on their back than going after those 500 individual buyers. But here's the thing, at least here in Colorado, I can't speak for Missouri law. I really don't know what they have going on over there. But here in Colorado, the listing agreement spells out the commissions well before the property hits the market. And two notes on this. The seller does not pay the buyer's broker. The seller pays an agreed upon commission, which is typically a percentage based on the final sales price of the home. That commission is paid to the listing brokerage. And then in that same agreement, the very next section, it is spelled out how much of that commission or what percentage will be shared from the listing brokerage to the selling brokerage or the brokerage representing the buyer. So the seller doesn't pay the commission directly to the buyer's brokerage. 
And the commissions are not set in stone. They do vary. And it's, there's many factors of why they might vary. Now, I won't get into the particular case here today too much. It's one of those ones where the attorneys got involved, they got the home builders involved, and on a whole separate note there, home builders would much rather you as a buyer just trust their sales team and not have a realtor on your side asking questions and ensuring that you know exactly what is included in your new home purchase and all the things that you will probably need like landscaping, washer dryer, sprinkler system, a fence, window treatments, etc., etc. Now all deals are different, but there are a whole host of things to think about when you buy a newly built home. Things that you would not even think to ask about. You would just think they're included unless you're represented by an agent with experience in new home purchasing. You know, you think the sales team is just going to offer up all that information? Probably not, unless you know what to ask and how to ask for it. And then making sure it's spelled out correctly in a contract and it's not just tucked away in some sort of fine print somewhere. So the lawsuit has a bunch of interesting twists. And we'll see if, you know, buyers are starting to pay their own realtor or maybe they start hiring attorneys. On a side note, I've never seen a real estate attorney visit a property with a buyer and point out things that they might see. You know, attorneys, they're also not cheap. But, you know, we'll see what changes come our way and to better help the public understand what we as realtors bring to the table. So I wanted to preface my story with how we are, you know, got here where we are today. The big factor is the internet. You know, not just Zillow. I mean, I use Zillow as an example because everyone knows it, but it could be any one of those national, you know, sites, whether it be Realtor.com. Oh, funny thing on Realtor.com, I saw a commercial realty. It says, Realtors trust Realtor.com. No, we don't. I mean, actually, we don't trust them any more or any less than any other paid advertisement site. Guess what other site I have also never entered a professional listing for sale? Not on Realtor.com, not on Trulia, not on any of those paid advertising sites. We use our local MLS. And the reason we do that is because that's where the vast majority of buyers go. It's a time-tested platform and a system where most buyers and sellers, they know it and they trust it. You know, they're usually represented by a realtor who is also held by the same ethics and the same legal consequences as myself. Okay, so let's go back in time. Let's go back before the days of the internet. There were very limited ways buyers could buy properties. You know, they were not represented by a realtor as they are now. It was the realtor, the seller, which was their client, who then hired the realtor to help them sell their home. And then comes the buyer. The buyer is just the buyer. They had no representation. In fact, from an industry standpoint, they were considered a sub-agent of the seller. In short, the seller held all the cards. And the buyer? Well, buyer beware. You were kind of on your own. Now, the realtor would write up the contract on the seller's behalf. And you as the buyer, you either just trusted that you weren't being misled or that this house was okay, or perhaps you would then go hire an attorney who would then look at the contract. 
but your attorney only looked at the paperwork. They would never visit the home, never take you around looking for homes. They just advised you on the contract. Now, even way back in the day, before the internet, real estate companies still shared listings. You know, at one point there were faxes, and that would be sent to various brokerages telling the other agents in the area, you know, the new listings that were for sale. Before faxes, I think there were black and white catalogs. But, you know, to, to my point, listings were shared in some way, even in a limited capacity, even before the internet. Now, the way the system currently works, if you want to sell your home and you are utilizing a licensed real estate professional, or even better, a realtor, the realtor draws up a listing agreement. Now, this is before any marketing has started on your home. Within this agreement, there is a place that details the agreed upon commission, which goes to the listing brokerage. The commission is negotiable. You'll often see 6% as being today's standards, but as I mentioned earlier, it's not set in stone. I have often negotiated this with my sellers. Maybe they need professional staging, but don't have that upfront money you know, to, to stage their home. I may offer to stage the home for a set period of time. I may offer a commission of 7% to help me offset and cover those costs. The fact is, in many cases, a professionally staged home will sell faster and for more money than an empty house. That is not my opinion. That's not even your opinion. That's just the facts. Especially in a market where buyers are gaining the upper hand, like today's market, when homes are staying on the market and there are less buyers looking at the home. In today's market, you better be pulling out all the stops to wow, and I mean wow, every single potential buyer who steps into your home. There very well may be only one buyer that is willing and able to buy your home. Now, every deal is different. Maybe I have already worked with a client on another deal. I know and trust them. They know and they trust me. The transaction is likely to go smoother and I know what they want. And more importantly, they know what they want. I may, and I often do, offer a reduced commission or a credit at closing. There are times we get into a deal and during inspections, I'm working with a buyer and we find that there's a major problem. Maybe the furnace is leaking gas through the uh, manifold and the new manifold is a couple of thousand dollars and the sellers are refusing to fix it. And my buyer loves this house. I have been known to kick in a portion of my commissions to help keep the deal together. So this notion that 6% or 8% or 7% or whatever it is, is some sort of hard number, at least in my experience, is just not the case. Is this what you'll typically see in today's market? Yes, but there are situations where I may seek more or less, depending on the current market conditions and the details in the particular deal I'm working on. It is true, up to this point, it's been the norm that a seller pays a listing brokerage a commission based on the final sales price of the home, which is often 6%. But it's not set in stone. 
but there's been a long you know commission that you would sort of typically see then in that same listing agreement I mentioned above on the very next section after the total commissions paid to the listing brokerage there's a section where we spell out exactly what portion of that commission will be shared with whichever licensed brokerage brings the buyer this is a practice where if you're using the MLS we are agreeing to share a portion of the total commissions to the selling brokerage or the broker who brings the buyer to the closing table. All right, now I know we went on a little bit long today. If you subscribe to my podcast, you know I like to keep a 15 to 20 minute show. I am right in that window right now. I have one final note before we close out today's show. Interest rates are higher than they've been in the last few years. However, back in the mid 2000s, now I'm not talking back in the 80s, I'm talking mid 2000s, all you know, not that long ago. The rates were six and a half to seven and a half percent. So yes, eight percent is higher than seven, seven and a half, but it's not crazy. It's just not three or four percent like we saw a few years back. Now keep that in perspective. My first condo was a one bedroom, 500 square feet. It was about 20, 30 minutes from downtown. It's kind of in a rundown complex. I did an FHA loan and my rate was 7%. I paid $99,500 for my condo. Now fast forward, we're talking 23 years later to today. Guess what? Today, you can buy a 500 square foot plus condo, 20 to 30 minutes from downtown Denver for under $200,000. In fact, there are 10 options right now in the database that are less than 175. And your interest rate would be high, but it'd be in the high sevens. So 23 years later, yes, the prices are higher, but I was making 35K a year when I bought my condo. In this market, remember, cash is king, always. But don't rule out the queen of liquidity. Some opportunities, like stocks, maybe lagging and maybe you want to reallocate into real estate the liquidity queen may be in your portfolio then if the liquidity queen is not there you never want to count out the bishops of home equity and the bishop of good credit kings queens and bishops may all be there to serve you now my you know my father He said to me a few times throughout his life, but one time in particular stuck with me. It was in the late 1980s. He had just been laid off from his job at the cabinet shop where he and I both worked. And he says to me, son, these are the times when the rich get richer and the poor, like us, son, get poorer. What he was teaching me, you know, in his own way was, When there are many out there who do not have that king, do not have that queen, do not have those bishops in their war chest or in their portfolio. However, there are those who do. They can seize on opportunities if they choose to do so. So on that note, we're closing out today's show. If you have any questions about your own situation and how I may be able to help you make the right move 
with the pieces you have in your war chest or your portfolio, give me a call. I would love to chat with you and see what value I can bring to the table. Once again, this is Ricky Schoonover of Mode Denver Real Estate. You have been listening to Denver's monthly real estate podcast, the Denver Homes Market Report. Have a safe Thanksgiving towards the end of the month here, and we'll reconnect next month. December 7th will be the first Thursday of the month.